The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guest. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining the life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. All right, all right. Hey, ACF Church, uh, so glad to see you guys today. We are um, excited to have a guest speaker, this man right here, who uh, is an awesome guy. Who was part of the Tactical Manhood event yesterday? Yeah, that was awesome time. We had a bunch of men in this room and uh, hanging out with this guy and his team. It's just been awesome. These guys are uh, former Navy SEALs, have some great things to share with us. I uh, would love to talk to you guys after the service even a little bit more, but uh, give it up for Jeff Bramstead. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, who here was part of Tactical Manhood yesterday? Now, before you raise your hand, those that were in my sessions, we raise our hands by our elbow goes above the ear. Who was a part of the, and I, I, I know you said, you know, I was looking right at you, shaking my head, like your hand didn't go up. I want to know who's here. Yes, now I can see you. Awesome. Good to see you guys. Um, there are like, Two of these left out there. Uh, brought a whole bunch of DVDs and T-shirts, but they were uh, they were they were. Gone. Are you wearing one? No. Okay. Um, they 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 went pretty quick. But basically, it's our it's our uh, our ministry shirt. It's got our logo on there, which is we try to make it as menacing as possible because you know that's what dudes do. We posture, and uh, on the back it's our logo. It says Life of Valor. On the sleeve over here, it has a. One of these sleeves has an American flag on it that's all distressed with a red stripe through it. So, um, who didn't get one yesterday? Did you get one yesterday? You did. Okay. Who didn't get one? Raise your hand. I want, you know what? This is an XL. So, I'm going to give this to you, even though you're probably wearing a medium, but I'm just speaking life into you that you're going to fit into this in like the next you know, your mom's going to say, well, the way he's been growing is going to fit into the next five minutes. But here, it's all you, buddy. Okay? All right. All right, cool. So next order of business is for um, the social media side of it. Because I want to prove that I have friends in Alaska. See, what I did was I went ahead and uh, tried to grow my beard out as much as I could. And I was so glad I did because I came up here and all these fantastic beards. And mine now, I just learned, has a lot of gray in it, which is not bad because, you know, how it is. When you get a little bit of gray hair now, your opinion matters, you know, when you're in the right room. So uh, what I want to do is I want to, uh, can we guys let me take a picture with you? And I'm going to do it selfie style. You guys ready? So what I want you guys to do is just, uh, here, turn around. I'm going to turn around like this. And then everybody right here behind me. So everybody stand up for a second. Yeah, stand up. Come on. This is the last service. Lighten up. Okay. <laughs> Right here. And now, now everybody just start, start waving or something. Make a funny face wave. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Gosh, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm pointing at mama. She's like, her heart rate just shot up. I will probably pick on people in the audience. That's what I like to do. Um, it's just, it's, it's fun, uh, for me. That's kind of the lane I live in. Is it fun for Bram? Yes, then we're doing it. If it's not, well, then we're not doing it. Um, I love this church. And I love your leaders. I am invested here. I have, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Josh, I've known him for 10 years, you know, since he was eight. And... (laughs) It's been fun watching him grow up. I still ask his mom, you know, you sure? You know, I don't know his mom. I'm just kidding now at this point. I'm not even going to go down that road. But, you know, Josh is this guy. He's just uh, relevant, um, young-hearted, will always be that way, an amazing leader. And I just want to say I'm so glad that you guys have my buddy here. And just got to know Pastor Brian, the unoffendable. I've tested this. I've tested this. 
And, uh, um, you know, this is, these are guys. We can go out, we can do dude stuff, go to movies and hang out and talk about guy stuff. And Brian has more time hunting than I will ever have. He's a man's man. But then I'm watching him up here with this amazing, talented group. And I'm just like, man, there's more talent in his little finger than I have in my whole body. You know, and just and being around guys like that. So I want to say congratulations to you because you guys are in the right place, the right season, the right time with the right leadership. And this church right here is making a difference. And I can tell that because you know how when, you, when you're a kid, you have kids, they grow, and you, you kind of mark their, you know, the, the, how tall they are, right? And I have a door jam at home that's got the marks all the way up on my kids because I have a 14-year-old now, and he's almost as tall as me, which isn't hard to do, you know, so... It's not that funny. Come on. And then, so as they're, as these, as they're growing out, now, the last time I was here, there was a mark on the door jam, and now you guys have doubled that, and it's just watching that happen and watching it from afar. And then often as I talk to Josh, um, it's very cool to see you guys, where you've grown to and how you guys have grown up and just the stuff that's happening. I'm not saying you're ever babies. I'm just saying, like, you guys are growing as a church and doing great stuff. And I want to say, stay in that lane. Cool? You guys are... Doing awesome. So, um, my name is Jeff Bramstead. I hardly ever travel alone. I uh, try to bring my crew with me everywhere. I, you know, my, my buddies. I try to, and by crew, I mean the guys that, whether we're doing this or we're just hanging out on weekends or we're doing stuff, it's the same group of people. Um, if I'm at the drop zone and, and out and jumping and stuff like that, they're there. If I'm at my house, there's probably one of them there. One of them lives six blocks from me and downhill is always a really nice far potato gun shot from my house to his and uh and he always you know picks on me back and says well you know you do that i'm just gonna get a cannon because he lives on a boat and uh i'm gonna get a cannon and and i'm gonna shoot frozen cats and belt buckles at you because nobody will give me a cannonball and that's johnny because if you know who johnny hoffman is guys yesterday well now i'm introducing everybody else this is master chief johnny hoffman one of my best friends on the planet he has been through some amazing stuff in his life. And I say amazing because I look at it through those eyes because I see where he's come from to where he is. And it, the stuff he's been through, it, it, very few people could survive. And I've been able to watch it firsthand. He's broken every bone from his belly button down. Been to SEAL Team 6, done amazing stuff militarily. Uh, he was retired Master Chief, ran Hell Week, ran SEAL training, all this other stuff. That's uh, Master Chief Johnny Hoffman right here. So you have to Beards are itchy. itchy. Six coming off as soon as I get home. Beards and smart cars and Priuses don't match. Um, I have neither of those, realize. The other buddy of mine that's here, Andy Stump. So you saw the wingsuit guy in the video, right? That's Andy. And uh, that's a world record attempt that he actually was successful in breaking the world record for the, the highest um, altitude, longest flight, longest distance flown in a wingsuit. So he flew 18 miles. On that, on that video. And, uh, it was absolutely, uh, awesome. And so he's a part of our skydiving team, comes out with us when we do jump stuff. And, you know, this is his first time coming out doing this type of stuff with us. But, um, I've known Andy for 15 years. Awesome guy. Also, he's a retired, a, uh, uh, Navy SEAL officer, uh, from SEAL Team 6 as well. He's a Purple Heart recipient. I mean, the guy's just, uh, been through it as well. But this is, uh, Andy Stump. Andy, are you over here somewhere? There he is. Over there in the corner. Andy with the long locks. Now I'm watching that video and I, I see some guy like jump off one building, slide down another, and then onto a spiral staircase. I see that right? I'm over there with Johnny and we're looking at that and Johnny's like, I saw two opportunities for a credit card situation. <laughs> guys, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so you guys are in a series about the book of James, right? This is an awesome book. One of my favorite books. Actually, my favorite scripture is in James. It's early on. It's like the first 12 verses of James are my favorite pretty much in the whole Bible. And you would think that it, it should be like gospel like stuff or you know, some of these things that Jesus said. No, it's actually the first 15 verses of James. And the reason I like it so much is because it talks about what happens when things get hard. And you know things get hard. It is just part of life. You will, you will not be, you cannot get around things getting hard. 
And what are you going to do when things get hard? Who are you going to turn to? What are you going to listen to? What are you going to let in? What the world says? Or what the word of God says? The thing is, the word of God is really, really crystal clear. It says, look, you're going through something hard. Do this. Keep your mind here. One of the hardest things to do when things get hard is to control your thought life. You control your thought life. Well, you have the majority of the battle fought and won. Your thought life. Think about that. The Bible talks a lot about what to do. It says, you know, cast down vain imaginations. That's talking about your thought life. What do you do when things get hard? What do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when you experience suffering? What do you do when somebody comes against you? What do you do when you get rejected? What do you do when someone lies about you, lies to you? What do you do when you've been cast down, discarded, and moved aside? Or when somebody goes just right on, they they blow right past you, and it's almost abusive the way that they do it. Because as they're doing it, they're saying things to you that stick to your spirit. What do you do? Control your thought life. Understanding that your fight is not against people, but it's against powers and principalities. When you can control your thought life, and you see it, it, it says that, that when you to hold every thought captive, well, first of all, vain imaginations, on the movie screen of your, of your imagination, there's, it's, it's, it's an image, and it's a, it's a compilation. At night, when you close your eyes, you see just the flashes, and like a, it's kind of like a replay, and it's a, rem- it's, a, it's a remix of your day, right? Well, you're, you're seeing all the things that happen. What are you letting into your spirit? And can you control your thought life? Because a lot of that stuff that gets let in becomes a stone in the shoe of your thought life. Holding every thought captive. In Hebrew, the word captive means to hold a spear to the throat of. If you were to walk up here and have a spear and grab me by my shirt and hold that spear to my throat, you're pretty much going to, I'm going to do what you say. Mostly. I'm kind of rebellious, even in the face of that. You're going to hold a spear to my throat and say, I, I, this, is, this is what's going to happen. I'm probably going to say okay, most likely. When you hold your thoughts captive, that's what you do with your thoughts. You say, I thought, I, I, I hold you captive. I hold a spear to your throat. And do you agree with the spirit of God that's in me about my suffering? About my pain? About my past? About my future? about my response, what am I going to say, the things I'm going to do, the decisions I need to make. Controlling my thought life, I'm holding the spirit to that throat. Do you, do you agree? And that thought is going to say yes or no. When it says no, you have to take a violent action and then replace it with something. Usually it sounds like the swing of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And guys, yesterday... We learned about what that sounds like when you swing the sword of the spirit. I am above and not beneath. I am the first, not the last. I am the head, not the tail. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I am a royal priesthood. I am a chosen few. It's, it's, it's a, I, am, I, am a, I, am a, I am a child of the most high living God. That's what it sounds like. You replace that thought with things like that and then move into the situation. Watch what happens. You're placing God in the situation. Even if there's suffering and even if there's pain involved. Amen? Does that make sense? has nothing to do with my sermon. I don't know where that came from. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But James 5, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. First of all, if you have your Bibles, hold them up. If you have your iPads, your Androids, if you're one of those people, Android people. Hey, I don't know if you guys remember this or not. The last time I was here. This is my Bible. Come on. This is my Bible. There are many like it. But this one is mine. <laughs> it never gets old. I don't know. I just love it. Because people expect something deep. You know? I had this guy once come up to me, because I was talking about my prayer place, is in scalding hot water in a bathtub. This guy comes up to me after church, and he's like, Hey, why hot water? He was expecting, like, super deep. Like, he was going to get the inside. And I was like, Because I'm allergic to cold water. <laughs> and he jumped and he looked, he was like, oh, and he walks off. I am. I get bumps and I get grumpy, shiver a lot. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I want to start with verse 12. We're going to reverse engineer this, this scripture. Do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Have you ever heard somebody who says something that sounds like this? If my husband were to do this, I would never forgive him. If my wife were to say this to me, man, this is going to be my response. If my kid ever were to say that to me, I'll tell you what, I'll snatch him up by the neck, I'd rip his head off. If my, if my buddy, whatever, ever did that to me, man, I would beat him into a pulp. You know, if, if, my, if my husband ever said this to me, or did this to me, or had this reaction to something that I did, I would never, I would divorce him. Anyone ever heard anybody say that? Has anybody ever done that? I have. Yeah, I, guys learned yesterday, I, you know, I am the biggest example of everything not to do in life. I will always have my hand up, okay? When you do that, did you know that you give the enemy legal grounds to enter into an area of your life? That's why it says here at the end, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty clear. It says, above all, it's saying, this is pretty important, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's saying when you swear by something, you know, we talked about this yesterday again. The, the power of life and death rests in the tongue. The things that you say matter. You're planting a seed. You're planting a seed that's going to grow up and be a plant that's going to produce fruit. And guess who gets to eat it when you say it? You speak something into your wife. You're planting a seed that's going to produce fruit that, guys, you're going to eat. You say something that's a, that's a negative response to your husband. It's something that maybe there's a different way of dealing with it, but you plant a seed. It grows up to produce fruit that you get to eat. You say something along the lines of, that ever happens? I will never forgive him. I will, I, I will respond this way. I will, I, will, I will have divorce papers. Now, what's happening is, now, when that happens, I'm not speaking death over something. If that were to happen in your life... What's going to happen is in your mind, that seed has already been planted of what you're going to do. And it's going to have power in your action. That means the first thought that you're going to have is to respond the way that you have always said that you would respond. The enemy is going to be having, is already going to have a pre-established stronghold in that area of your life. I don't want that. So I always try to avoid, it's almost, I mean, I make that mistake myself, but I catch myself doing it. When I catch myself doing it, I immediately have to speak against what I thought. You know what? That, 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 that God, I, I need, I, I repent for what, whatever that was that I just said. Eliminate that stronghold. Eliminate those words that I just said. I've had to do that. All right, so the beginning of the scripture, well, in the middle, it says, be patient and establish your hearts. There's a difference between being hard and being strong. Dave, you're hard, man. You're just a hard dude. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. Hard and strong. When someone says, dude, you're hard, man. As a guy, that's a compliment. In the Christian world, when you hear the word hard, you think, oh, he's got a hard heart. 
He's not a good person. He's a hard, hard heart. Now, in the military world, it means that dude, I will stand with him any day. Because he's hard. Anybody can be strong. You can see the entry level, like the, the first 10 minutes of any buds class. There's 200 really strong guys. The 25 that are going to come out the back end, those are the guys that are hard. You can be hard for a minute. You can be cold for a minute. You can run for a minute. You can swim for a minute or an hour or two hours. But what about when you don't know how long it's going to be that you're going to be in pain? The person who can, who can stay in it. The person who in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of their pain, still be able to look around and say, I know that there's still somebody that I can bless, even though I am struggling down to the core. That is somebody who's hard. When I was in SEAL training, there was always this guy that was, I'll never, I'll never forget him. I'll call him Travis. He's still active duty. Every time things were hard, I'm over there just going, man, this is horrible to be me right now. Wah! I am uh, so bad to be Bram. I don't like being Bram. I just, uh, and he would be, we'd be in the push-up position. He would literally run over to me in this, and he'd come over and be like, hey, dude, how you doing, man? I'm like, this sucks. We can say that in church, right? We can say that. Uh, I mean, uh, Pastor Brian's like, I have five cuss words today. So we'll count that as one. So we'll kind of, just kidding. If you're religious in here, then, you know, you're in the wrong spot today. You know, because uh, we're going to relate, man. This is how this is. We're just going to be, be people. I, don't, I run from polish, by the way. If I see something funny, I will call it out. If I see somebody I know, I'm going to say, hey, what's up, dude? That's just how I do. So polish. I mean, the uh, only thing I'm not doing is sitting on the steps. I was doing that yesterday. Okay? Like we're sitting down having a conversation. If I'm in, I'm buzz, I just remember thinking, just this is horrible. This sucks so bad. I can't even. And he was like, "Hey, man." He goes, "This sucks for everybody. You're not special." He goes, "This is bad for me too." And I looked over, and he's he, we were doing push-ups, and he was barely able to make them. But he's having a conversation with me that I had to have. And in the middle of our pain, he's reaching out and saying, "Hey, man, we're all in this together. Let's do this together." I tell you what, if there wasn't, if there was, and I can think of three or four more times where something like that happened. My swim buddy simply said, hey, get in, the water's nice. And I was literally thinking about quitting the entire program. All he said was, hey, get in, the water, amongst all the loud and false bravado going on, hey, get in, the water's nice. Wow. I just got in, the water was freezing. <laughs> he didn't, he, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't. Lie on purpose. I don't know how he could have missed that one. I got in the water, swam to my spot, and I was just like, this water's freezing. And he was just like, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, it makes it a lot warmer when, when, when you're freezing with somebody else, though. You know, and we, we had it, it, those funny moments that even in the struggling and the pain, that you're still able to, 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 to reach out and touch somebody. That's hard. When you don't know when it's going to end. Yeah, you got an idea when Bud's is going to end. It's going to be somewhere between six months and a year, depending on how poorly you do at certain evolutions. And you know that it's going to be, you know, it's, you know that Hell Week is called Hell Week for a reason. It's not called Hell Three Days or Hell Four Days. It's Hell Week. You know, you got six days of, of, ugh, constant physical activity. Constantly cold. Constantly running, constantly doing log PT. It's just, it's, it's, it's off the charts how hard it is. But when you're in the first two days of something that's six days long and you're already on your last nerve, you're already hanging on by a thread and you're, you're, and you know that the, the end, you know where the end is, but it's so far away. It's so hard to be hard and suffer in silence. Nobody wants to be next to the guy when you're on a run where you're trying to hold it together yourself and that guy is next to you. All you hear is just him panting, vomiting, whining, and crying the entire time. You know those people who when they go through hard stuff, 
everybody in town knows that they're going through something hard. I'm not saying don't talk about your problems. I'm saying control your thought life when you talk about your problems because your thoughts are going to form your words. How about this? Have you ever known somebody who's going through a divorce and he or she will do nothing but just throw their ex-spouse under the bus? Oh, did you know that he was doing this? And did you know that he was doing that for the last five years? And they're just trying to completely destroy the reputation. I get around that quite a bit. And the first thing I say is, look, I'm not, I'm not super interested in what you have to say about how bad they were. I'm really interested in how awesome God is going to restore them with or without you. I'll tell you what, divorce, one thing about divorce. God hates divorce. Want to know why he hates it? Because it hurts his kids. But back on track, when you lose, when you, when you, when you lose it, and everything that comes out of your mouth is blood. You're just bleeding on everybody that's around you. That is not suffering in silence. Suffering in silence is speaking strategically. Sitting down with your, with your pastor, your authority, your discipleship pastor, your, 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 your life group leader, and saying, man, this is what I'm going through. And I can't do this by myself. Because that person will get in it with you and demonstrate the standard and help you through it. They're never going to leave you behind. That is how you get through a lot of the stuff. Pain and suffering. But having patience in it. There's a really interesting thing that happened. Jesus, when he was in a... He had a really good friend. and his, One of his best friends was this guy named Lazarus. Now, Lazarus had a... Uh, and an, an, an affliction, and he ended up dying from it. And Jesus used that to, to teach a lesson to his disciples. He couldn't, and he couldn't, and, and he knew it was coming. He's Jesus, he's God, he knows it's happening. So Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus that, their, that, their, that his friend Lazarus had died. And the Bible says, so he stayed two more days. If I have a buddy and I know that he's dying or dead, I'm dropping what I'm doing. I'm getting to that family side. I'm doing everything that I can. Jesus used this moment to show and teach everybody something and do something special for Lazarus that he had never done for anybody ever before in history and hasn't done since and didn't even do for himself. You're wondering, well, what could that be? It was a one-day journey to where Jesus was. And it was Jewish custom that when someone dies, you take that person and you immediately bury them. Like today. Jesus died on the cross immediately into the tomb. Whenever anybody died, they immediately put them in the ground. So Lazarus, in the, in, he's buried. He's in his tomb. Messenger leaves, one-day journey, tells Jesus. Jesus says, wow, okay. Of course, he already knew that. Stayed two more days. And on the way back, has this conversation with his, this is on the patience part of suffering and, and pain. What do you do when you get impatient? Because, you know, God's never really in a hurry. How many times have I learned that lesson? This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go, so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. This is John 11, verse 11, now 12. The disciples said, uh, said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. There's two conversations happening right there. You have a heavenly conversation, 
And then you have a worldly conversation. The heavenly conversation is the language that Jesus speaks all the time. But sometimes it's hard to wrap our arms around what he's saying in his heavenly language. So he comes down to our level and says, speaks it plainly, he's dead. See, the disciples were going, what do you mean he's asleep? You thought the guy said he was dead. You're saying he was a liar, apparently. Um, So if he's asleep, Lazarus has an ambient addiction that's taken hold. We're trying, we don't understand Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, really? Okay. He's dead. Did you get that? And they're like, oh, yeah, gotcha. And they still were in this spot like, well, then what are you, I mean, what are you going to do if he's dead? It's like they forgot like he had done the same thing like 10 days before, you know, raised a little girl from the dead. And then you have the, the daughter of the, the centurion. Then you have the, you know, all these other people that had Jesus raised from the dead. Like the, the, the disciples are kind of like, Puppies, where puppies are just present. They don't, you know, things that happened five seconds ago, they don't really remember, you know, or the things that are in the future. They're not spiritual giants. And they're trying to get their heads around this situation. And Jesus is saying, look, he's dead. And I'm glad that I wasn't there because I'm going to use this to show you what God can do. It actually says that. It's like, verse, verse 14. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm going to show you what, I, what, what God can do. I'm going to show you what I can do. Another day journey all the way back. That's four days. That is the longest recording, recorded time ever gone that Jesus had raised somebody from the dead. He was dead three days and rose from the dead. Lazarus was four. And he said, I'm going to let Lazarus go four days. You want to know why? He goes, because even in your impatience... I'm still going to show excellence and greatness. And I'm going to show that you can come out of whatever it is that you are dealing with. And I'm going to show that I'm going to, and I can trust you with that because you are still going to be alive when I bring you out of it. And when you come out of it, now other people are going to look at you and they're going to say, wow, they can get through it. They got through it. God showed up in a miraculous way for them. That's what I want. That's what's coming for me. That's awesome. People get mired down and they get very introspective about the pain that they're going through. And they start asking questions. And the questions go like this. God, did you create pain? God says, yes. Why did you create pain? I created pain so that when you go through something that hurts you, you stop doing it. A few years ago, a few years ago, 1970-ish, and then book, (laughs) you're Osborne. It's happening right now. There's like five of you doing that. I'm 45. Come on now, right? Back in the message, right? Stay with me. So, <laughs> Philip Yancey's book, uh, Where's God When It Hurts? He tells this amazing story about this guy named Paul Brand, who's a doctor. And he went to live in a leprosorium because he wanted to, he wanted to study what happens to people when they go through, when they, when, when they're, when they're, when they have lepers, when they have leprosy. And they call them leper colonies in the, you know, in the, in the Bible and in the old days. But there, it's actually a leprosyum is what it's called. He went there and because everybody thought that it was this, this issue where arms and legs would fall off and it was contagious by just even seeing one. <laughs> you know, they, people had this really odd view of it. He said, I don't think it's what everybody thinks it is. I'm going to go see for myself. So he went and he was standing in front of these, these lepers and he began to notice things. He goes, they, they talk normal, they act normal, they're all this stuff. He goes, but after a while of being with them, he discovered that it's a neurological issue. They just can't feel pain. One could be raking leaves if there's a nail sticking out of it. Work into the hand, cause an infection. And they don't know how bad the infection is because they can't feel pain. 
They don't know it. They don't know have. There's nobody there that's giving them medical aid. Everyone's just kind of staying away from them. So the, the, the issue that caused that, the infection or whatever, doesn't ever get dealt with. So they're losing fingers. They're losing a hand. They lose, you know, they, things become gangrenous and they just start falling off of their bodies. Same thing that would happen to any one of us if we could tolerate the pain of going through whatever they're just going through. They just can't feel it. So they thought they had a little bit of a, of a setback in the, in, the, in the experiments of things. A guy went to bed and he woke up and he didn't have a finger. They said, well, maybe there is something that happens with things just falling off. But what they did is they surveilled him and others while they were sleeping and they learned that rodents were actually coming in, rats and mice, and were chewing on their fingers until things would fall off and then they would wake up in the morning and they'd be missing, you know, be missing a digit. And so the doctor was he was like, God, I don't know what to do about this. I mean, rats. And so God said, you know, I solved that problem a long time ago. I created cats. <laughs> Gave every one of a cat, solved the problem. Now, we know that there is one good use for cats. If you're all offended because I just made fun of your cat, give it a minute. Forgive me, and now we're moving on, right? Okay, good. They can't feel pain. The suicide rate began to skyrocket in this area, and they figured out that it's because when they can't feel pain, they also can't feel pleasure. They don't know what it's like when someone gets their arms around them, somebody pats them on the back. When somebody is going to give them a physical affirmation, they don't know what it feels like, and they felt so isolated from the human race that they said, it would just be better if I wasn't around. God created pain for that reason. So that when things hurt, you know to step away. But what about suffering? God, did you create suffering? The Bible verse, it says, in Matthew 16, 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from his elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. God, did you create suffering? God's answer to that is no, I didn't. How many times have you ever heard people say this? If God is real, why is there AIDS? What kind of God would do that? If God is real... How come there is there war and people killing each other? What kind of God would allow a genocide to take place? What kind of God would allow, would allow somebody to take my dad in a drunk driving accident? What kind of God would allow, would allow you know, somebody to come and hurt my wife the way they did? And what kind of God would allow somebody to come and, and rape me? What kind of God would let that happen? And God says, look, I didn't create suffering what ended up happening is sin came into the world and disease and famine and war and violence and people hurting each other and and all this atrocious stuff that's happening began to but the seed was planted and that stuff began to pop up things that create suffering i created pain i did not create suffering it's a big difference between the two So Jesus came to earth. This is the third question now. So if you created pain, not suffering. See, let me clarify something first. A lot of suffering happens when people create, they, they, they use the pain thing that God created, and they begin to inflict that on their fellow man. 
will create suffering. So, Jesus, if you created pain but not suffering, then why did you come and suffer? The Bible says he suffered and then died and then rose again on the third day. Why did you suffer? John 11, the shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept, is as a result of he was suffering. He told his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and scribes and and chief priests and I'm going to suffer many things and then they're going to kill me. And the thing is, is that he knew that was going to happen and the reason it had to happen was so 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 that we could get the benefit of eternal life. Suffering. He came to this earth. It's not like he had some you know, he ripped his clothes away and there was a big superhero insignia on his chest. We are the only religion ever to have a God who knows what it's like to have loved and lost. Know what it's like to have his brother die. Who knows what it's like to have his father die. A lot of people don't know this, but his father died when he was a teenager. God chose Joseph for Jesus so that he could have his only son come to earth, be raised by a man who God knew was going to die when he was a teenager. And why would he put him through that suffering? His only son, so that he could know what it's like to go through some of the things that you have gone through. Our God knows what it's like to lose somebody. Knows what it's like to have his beard ripped out. Knows what it's like to to feel the scourge of a whip on his back. And he knows what it feels like to be nailed to a cross. He has been rejected just like you have. Cast out of society. I was speaking at 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 an event. This is uh, 10, uh, 10, 10, 11 years ago. And this guy came to me and said, I want you to speak at my, at my school. I'm the principal, and I want you to share the gospel. I was like, um, uh, you sure? He goes, yeah, see, I'm the principal, and I retire tomorrow, so um, they can't hurt me. And so I, showed, I was like, my man. So I went in there. There was 300 kids, and I shared the gospel message, and all these hands went up. It's about 15 that didn't, 300, 300 350 kids. And they all line up just like they all like to do. They want to come. They they know so much about me now. They want to they want to come. They want to tell me their life story, which is great. I love that. And there's this kid that was a few back, and he has the, the line kept getting shorter, and he's like, kind of looking at me, you know, mean mugging me a little bit. And I was like, this is gonna be interesting when when old boy gets up here, you know. So he finally gets up there. And he stands in front of me. He's like, I didn't raise my hand. I was like, awesome. Uh, could you step aside? The lady behind you, young lady, wants to talk to me. He was like, I said I didn't raise my hand. I was like, right, that's two now. I heard you both times. They work good. Move aside. Uh, the guy, girl behind you wants to talk to me. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it once more. I'm like, right. So, okay, you know what? I'll play your game. <sighs> Why didn't you raise your hand? And he said, because I'm an atheist. And I'm like, an atheist? How old are you? He's like 15. I said, did anybody tell you you got to be 18 to be an atheist? And he said, well, well uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he said, well, um, I, I'm an atheist because my dad doesn't believe that there's a God. And I was like, there's a whole brick wall right here. It was all red, big red brick wall. And I said, of all this brick wall, is half a brick right there. That's how much I know. That red, brick, red, that red brick wall represents all the knowledge in the universe. All I know is half a brick. How much do you know? He's like, half the wall. I'm like, wow, smart one. We got a smarty pants. And he said, uh, 
um, I said, in my half a brick, I know certain facts. And I'm not a very over-intelligent person. I'm just, I just, not, I don't like books. You know, I don't like, I don't like, uh, you know, b- b- textbooks and things like that. I, I learn by doing things with my hands. But I know that inside of my half a brick. I said, so let's put you and I both in that same half a brick. Outside our half a brick, is there a God? He was like, well, no. I'm like, how do you know? He said, come on, man. Play the game. All right? I had to put up with you asking me, you know, three times. Like, I didn't raise my hand. I said, now, now you got to be on my team out here. Outside your half a brick, is there a God? And he was just like, well, I don't know. I said, congratulations. I upgrade you to agnostic. Now, if you'd please step aside, the lady after you wants to talk to me. He was just kind of like, kind of walked away. That night he came to the youth meeting where I was speaking. Got radically saved. Got an email from him some time ago. This is not that long ago. It was this year. He said, you may not remember me, but as he told the story, I'm like, oh, I remember you. <laughs> and he, he said, finished high school, went to Bible college, became a youth pastor in West Virginia. I didn't get a chance to really tell you the whole story, but my dad really suffered at the hand of his dad. And his big question was, if there was a God, why would he allow me to suffer through all of that abuse? Now he's been able to walk his dad through this stuff. And one of the things he said was that through, through all of this suffering that you went through, there's a God who suffered just the same as you. And that's the one, that's the God who wants you to be a benefit. Take benefit, take hold of the fact that he suffered and died and created the victory avenue, the victory lane through his resurrection for you. He's writing this in a letter to me, that the same stuff that we're talking about. I was like, man, I had to wait 10 years. And it was like, it's like, you know, you, you want to hear the end of that story. You know, like the guy, like, you know, God showed up and like struck lightning like four times in front of him. And then he like dropped to his knees and cried, like cried out to God. Uh, you know, that's the story you want to hear. But this God is so gentle with people in their tough place. And now his dad who he didn't really wasn't clear if his dad's walking with the Lord or not. I got a little emotional over it. Not hard. I mean, I cried a good Hallmark commercial, but you know. But this same God, Jesus Christ, who was handed over to Pilate, Pilate had him and paraded up in front of people and said, I have Jesus and I have Barabbas. I will set one free. And he was using that to possibly get Jesus free. And the audience was like, set Barabbas free. Pilate's thinking that didn't go exactly the way I had it planned. So he said to Barabbas, the same thing that he would say to any one of us. And he'd say, congratulations. Jesus is dying in your place. And so I present you the question today. Are you suffering? You think you're going through something that Jesus doesn't understand? He understands. He understands you've been hurt. He understands that you've been wounded. He understands that you've been drugged through things. He's saying, I, I, I get it. Uh, can I have it now? Because I died for this problem too. Just, if you'd close your eyes for me. I want to pray with you and I'll give you the words. 
and you just repeat after me in the privacy of your own heart. You can do it out loud if you want, but this is the privacy of your own heart. This is a moment between you and God. And a lot of guys will stand up here and say, this is where you got to stand up and profess your faith and you faith before God and he will profess you before his father. I get that. What happens is after this, you'll tell somebody that you gave your heart to Jesus. You can do that later. But this is a moment that I want you to spend with God. This is the moment that God craves with his kids. And even if you gave your heart to Jesus at one point in your life, but fell away, that's fine. Or you never have. Today is your day. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I invite you into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins. And rose again. And I repent. And I want to make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, will you show me who you are? Will you put your hand up in the air for me? I see you. I see you. I see you. Good. I see you. Over here. We'll see your hand. I see you. I see you. Jesus, I just thank you for every soul here and especially the ones that are brand new to the kingdom of God, Lord. We thank you for them. And Lord, I pray that you will bless every person here, every person, young and old, man and woman, that you will enter into their life in a new way, that you will speak into their life in a way they would understand that you will create in their life a platform that they can stand on and profess you. And Lord, I just pray that you protect them in their coming and in their going, their vehicles and their homes, their finances and their relationships, their marriages and their children. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can you give Jeff a hand today?